Welcome back to another episode of Win Championship and Pete Boston Sports Podcast. And on this week's episode, we're going to be looking at the New England Patriots and what is their potential situation to make the playoffs now that they beat Miami and they come up to Buffalo. What is the um, projected way they can get in uh, moving forward? So let's sort of discuss that first, then we'll talk about the Red Sox, and then the Celtics. So the Patriots basically are in a good spot, where their destiny is held by, first, a victory. But if not, other teams losing and, you know, things going in our favor um, in other games as well could get us to the playoffs if we don't win. So the easiest answer to getting into the playoffs is beating Buffalo. Now, I honestly don't think we're going to beat Buffalo for a few reasons. Number one, Buffalo is just a better team. They have more talent. They're better wide receivers. But I also think Buffalo is going to be playing this game against the Patriots for uh, DeMar Hamlin, who unfortunately um, collapsed on the field and uh, thankfully is doing so much better. He Last I heard was off a ventilator and is breathing on his own without any tubes, which is very good. But I feel like the team is going to rally behind him and that's going to be extra motivation um, to get things done. Similar to the Isaiah Thomas uh, situation when his sister passed away and he used that as his fuel to have a great game. I think that was during the playoffs. I think they're going to use this game as a push um, and the DeMar Hamlin situation is going to be that push to to win. And I don't think we are going to see, um, you know, the Patriots win this one. But you never know. Um, it's not at home, so that's going to be tough, too. Um, so if the Patriots do lose, we also need the Jets to beat Miami. We also need the Steelers to lose in their game. And if you look at the standings just at the moment, Patriots are 8-8. Eight and eight. And Dolphins are 8-8, eight and, eight and the Steelers are 8-8. Eight and, eight. Um, and there is no world in which the Jets winning and the Patriots losing could end up giving them that spot because um, the Jets lost to us twice. So there's no shot they're going to make the playoffs. Um, Tennessee has a 7-9 record. Uh, Jacksonville has an 8-8 eight eight record. So if Jacksonville wins their game, uh, they're good. Tennessee's done. If the uh, Tennessee Titans beat Jacksonville, they will have a tied record. And I don't know if that really affects um, the Patriots, per se. I don't know if there's an edge in, in that situation. I think, really, it's only Miami needs to lose to the Jets and the Steelers need to lose their game. Because we have the tiebreaker over Pittsburgh based on head-to-head -head win percentage. Division tiebreak was uh, used to eliminate Miami. So we beat the Jets twice and we beat Miami once, and Miami uh, would lose, in this case, hopefully, to the Jets, um, and then things would um, work in our favor. So um, things aren't looking too bad, but we do need a little bit of help uh, if we don't win this game, which I honestly don't think we're going to win this game just based on the sheer fact that the Bills are a clearly better football team, but also the whole DeMar Hamlin situation just gives them the fuel and fire to win this game. So I think we're just not going to win, but I think we have to hope 
if we want to make the playoffs, that we will get um, some help from the Jets winning and the Pittsburgh Steelers losing. Um, that would be uh, very ideal um, for everyone. Uh, so it would be nice to make the playoffs because we basically prove all of the haters wrong because a lot of people don't like Mac Jones as a quarterback. They don't like Belichick right now as the head coach, and they don't like Matt Patricia as the offensive coordinator. And they've been pretty bad as a combination. And I think you take out someone like Josh McDaniels, who was a very uh, natural fit at the offensive coordinator spot, and you put in Matt Patricia, who is far from a natural fit. And, you know, this team was just not the same. But making the playoffs kind of proves people wrong a little bit. Granted, we're probably not going to win our first game in the playoffs, but we definitely are a team that could, um, you know, be good in the future with our defense is great. And, you know, we have Rondre Stevenson. And I think if it gets to the point where, um, you know, we get a good offensive coordinator in there, then we will we'll be all set. Um, Bill Belichick recently... Um, talked about the fact that Jake Bailey is going to be out for the rest of the season. He's on the injured reserve, um, and so that means he is um, one of the most highest-paid punters and not really uh, performing well. Um, and Michael Pilardi will still be sticking with um, the team as their punter for now. Um, and so that's that. I was looking at an article from uh, Nesson, which looks at a Patriots mailbag and asks a bunch of questions. Um, so I want to kind of go through some of these and what could take place. Um, first is with McCourty hinting at retirement last week, who are some of the realistic options we could see him get replaced by? So first is uh, Joshua Bledsoe, who's on the team already. Adrian Phillips, um, potentially. Free agency is an option, which they go with um, Jesse Bates III and Vaughn Bell, Jordan Poyer, Jimmy Ward, and Adrian Amos from Green Bay um, as potential options um, in free agency. They also mention a few draft products, Alabama Brian Branch and Jordan Battle, um, and Georgia's Christopher Smith. So those are potential uh, replacements. Um, next question, are the Patriots good enough to beat any of the big three, Chiefs, Bengals, Bills? Um, I'm probably going to say no. I think those three teams have a good chance at winning a Super Bowl. I just don't see us doing it. Um, the article itself says that we have a punter's chance against the Chiefs. But um, they don't pick us to beat the Bills, um, so that's, uh, that's not going to happen um, if that was the case. Um, then they look at, is Jacoby Myers likely to resi resign here? And is Dan Orlovsky going to be our offensive coordinator? Um, I don't think he's going to resign. I think maybe from a production standpoint he should, but I don't really think it's going to happen. Because um, he's going to want a lot more than we're going to offer. Um, Orlovsky, um, intriguing addition to the staff, but he has zero coaching experience to be the offensive coordinator, according to this article. But I don't know anything on him, so I can't really myself say um, at all. 
Uh, next question, other than adding an offensive tackle this offseason, do you see the Patriots making any big signings or trades? I think extending the B.O. Peppers could be a priority. Um, so they basically say safety and wide receiver were already mentioned. Um, another cornerback with some length could be beneficial too. Um, so he also is wondering what they will do with um, some of their other, Raekwon McMillan and Mac Wilson. Um, and uh, so I think safety, wide receiver, offensive tackle. They're going to get an offensive tackle in the draft, but I think they're going to go for wide receiver via trade, safety via draft or free agency. Next question, can they be expected to turn the offense around in one year while the defense is still together? Um, potentially, but I think you need a good um, play caller, which is what they say as what I think they need, and then that could change. Um, when will someone hold Bill accountable for sending Michael Pilardi out on the field every week when he can't punt the ball farther than 35 yards? Is there no other free agent punters out there? Um I mean, at this point, they're going to just wait for what is Bailey to come back. He's not been playing the greatest, but he is uh, the punter for this team. So I think uh, eventually he'll come back, um, hopefully healthy, and that'll be uh, where we're at. But I just, I don't know, they don't want to bring in someone else for the time being. Um, I think they're going to just kind of, you know, stick with what they got and um you know next year have jake bailey in the fold and and go from there so uh, i think that's what my guess is with their game plan so moving on to the red sox red sox had some very big news um, which just took place involving one of the most uncertain situations with the red sox future so there were two players that the red sox were planning, or at least fans hoped they would resign to long-term deals. Xander Bogarts, who ended up signing with the Padres on a 11-year deal, and Rafael Devers, who uh, just signed 11 years with the Red Sox. So, Rafael Devers signed a one-year, 17.5 million dollar contract, which was to avoid the arbitration, which meant that. He was willing to negotiate with the Red Sox and at least talk. And then we got the news just recently that he signed an 11-year deal, $331 million contract extension. So he is a full-on Red Sox player. I think he's 26 years old, so that'll be, if I'm not mistaken, 11 years, um, probably 37 years old, um, which that's, that's, that's crazy, man. That's a big contract. It's like 30-ish million a year. Um, and he's going to be getting paid a lot for his uh, production. But this is A, the prime of his career, and B, it's a perfect time. Because the thing with Xander that was difficult, in my opinion, was he was 30 years old. So giving him an 11-year contract, he would have been 41. And he either... At 41, he would have been out of the league, or he would have been a shell of himself, and he would have been paying him for all that money. And so the Padres did that, and I think the Padres' hope was to narrow their championship window or create a championship window with Juan Soto and with Xander Machado, you know, and all the guys that they have um, on their roster, Tatis, 
now joining in the fold, which I don't know how they're going to make that work with Tatis, Xander, and Machado. I think one of those guys will have to play second base, probably um, Tatis, maybe. I don't know, but um, they also could put one at DH. I don't know if they would. But for Devers, uh, this is big news. We lost Xander, J.D. Martinez, Evaldi in free agency, and I think this makes up for a lot of the mistakes that they've made. Um, when the Red Sox signed Trevor Story last year, it in part seemed like assurance for a Xander Bogart situation if he leaves. And I think that's exactly what they wanted to bring him in for. And I think they didn't want to pay Xander, Trevor Story, and, uh, you know, Devers. And here's the thing. Xander was going to be an older player, and maybe they felt like Trevor Story's contract was better for his age and for you know, a bunch of different reasons. And so they maybe, as a Red Sox organization, had the understanding that they were going to keep when they signed Trevor Story. Um, Trevor Story and um, either Xander or Devers. And Devers just makes more sense because he's younger and he's getting into, if not in the prime, of his career. And with Marcelo Mayer just a few shades um, away from being an MLB shortstop, maybe the Red Sox feel like, He's the next Xander, so why sign him long-term? And you have Trevor Story at second, and you have Devers, and I think my guess would be eventually in the long-term is that Trevor Story will become probably our DH at some point. You know, If Nick York becomes a very, very good player and becomes an MLB-ready player who has a good potential to be a very good starter at second, Marcelo Mayer, very good shortstop prospect, there is the potential for a Trevor Story DH situation in the future. I think right now they want to keep him at second, which I'm going to talk about a little bit of that after uh, for a second on some other stuff. But I think there's um, the potential for um, this to work out well, bringing in Devers long term. He's going to be there and he'll play third base and he's an all-star level guy. And I like the fact that we brought him in and that's the greatest uh, situation for our team. Now, there is um, some other news involving the Red Sox that uh, I want to talk about, which it's a rumor that recently came out, um, which was talking about um, the Red Sox and the Marlins potentially getting down with a trade. So there was um, rumors that the Red Sox had interest in both uh, Miguel Rojas and Joey uh, Wendell. Those are... Rumors that were thrown out, and the most recent rumors that uh, come are that Miami is reportedly targeting Red Sox first base prospect Tristan Cass, who according to MLB.com is our number two prospect in the system. So he is number two on the board for the Red Sox. And so at this point in time, it seems like the Marlins have interest. And whether that's like true interest or if that's just them you know, kicking the tires on some sort of a deal, potentially. Um, I don't really know. That is not a question I can answer if there's any truth to this or if it's more of a, hey, what's the, the situation here? Um, and I think it's a difficult, um, you know, situation for the Red Sox to be in because if they can get a good offer, then I wouldn't be too upset, right? There's a lot of guys out there who could really be interesting pieces for the Red Sox. 
besides the fact that uh, they had interest in Joey Wendell and Miguel Rojas. Rojas is a shortstop. He is an expiring deal after this year, but he is uh, a veteran shortstop that can most likely, in the short term, fill your need until Marcelo Mayer comes into the MLB ranks. Now, they have a bunch of starters that also could interest the Red Sox, Pablo Lopez being probably one of their better ones. Um, they also have um, a bunch of others that could fit the bill. 25-year-old Jesus Lazardo, 25-year-old Trevor Rogers, and 23-year-old Edward Cabrera. Now, there is um, uh, a uh, starting pitcher that they have. Um, I think um, his name, if I'm, I'm not mistaken, is uh, Sandy... Uh, Alacarta, um, who is the Miami Marlins' best pitcher. Um, this guy's off the table, and that was made clear in most of the articles I read involving the situation. But uh, there are other pitchers who are involved. So I want to talk about two things with this rumor. First is what I had kind of talked about just a shade earlier, which was Trevor Story at second. So I think the Red Sox want to keep Trevor Story at second base because I don't think they have any sort of um, confidence that Christian Arroyo could be your everyday second base. I don't see that happening where Christian Arroyo starts in this lineup. He is, at best, a second base, third base bench piece. And that's about as much as I can get out of this situation. I do not want to see Christian Arroyo as our starting second baseman or shortstop or third base, I don't want to see him in our starting lineup. Like, he is a backup, and that's the best you're going to get from him, and that's all I got for you. Um, and so I just think that they're going to want to go out there and get someone who can definitely play shortstop and Story can stay at second. And I think Rojas could be an option because, yes, he's a one-year deal right now, but I think the Red Sox could potentially give him another year and maybe in two years Marcelo Mayer is ready for the Red Sox you know maybe he is ready to step into that starting role at shortstop and so if your plan is hey let's make a move and here's a second base guy coming in um, then I think you know he can play shortstop and Trevor Story can stay at uh, second base and that would make more sense. So there's a sense that this deal could take place from that standpoint. And I think, you know, the interest in Rojas, he's an expiring. I don't think he fits what the Marlins are doing. So it fits a little bit for what the Red Sox do. So if the Red Sox could trade, obviously, the second best prospect in their rotation of prospects, um, Kass, um, they would have to get a lot in return. And Rojas is just not enough to do it, obviously, because he's an expiring and he's older. Pablo Lopez has interest. There's other pitchers. If the Red Sox could potentially get in this deal, um, Rojas plus uh, Pablo Lopez plus um, one of the other pitchers, either Jesus Lerardo, Trevor Rogers, or Edward Cabrera, one of those guys with upside um, to go along with Lopez and Rojas, then you got a deal. And this could also be, hey, we're going to trade you uh, Nick Pavetta and we're going to trade you Tristan Cass, and we'll take Pablo Lopez, you know, we'll take uh, Trevor Rogers, and we will take, um, you know, Rojas as well. And even if they want to make it a, a bigger deal and have Joey Wendell join in, 
coming to Boston, um, which I don't know if they would, but, you know, there is, you know, a chance that this takes place. The problem that I see is something where they don't have a first baseman at this point. Eric Hosmer is gone. Yes, they have um, Justin Turner, and from what I remember, he was mostly known as a third base guy at, you know, with the Dodgers, and so I don't see him as a, I don't really see that as a, uh, you know, him playing first, although he has, I guess, the ability to. Um, they don't really have another option, and so if their game plan is to sign someone to play first base or trade uh, Bobby Dalback or, you know, Jared Duran to play, um, you know, on another team and they get a first baseman in, then I'm good with that. If they um, sign someone like a Yuri Gurriel, I'd be fine with this trade and then bring him in as a first baseman. But the thing is, I don't think we have like another first base prospect who's at any sort of close enough level. So I don't really know if they want to do it just because there's no one else at first base besides, I guess, Justin Turner, which I don't know if they want that. I think he's more going to be the DH. But I think there's, you know, a case to be made if this is a trade that you want to make. It's a trade to to make. And so um, potentially there could be something here, but I don't really think we're going to end up seeing it uh, anytime soon. So next on the board is the Boston Celtics. And um, yeah, there is two things uh, that I want to discuss um, right off the bat. Uh, the first is a trade that the Celtics made involving Noah Vonley. And Noah Vonley ended up getting traded to the San Antonio Spurs along with some cash for a heavily protected second round pick, which is going to most likely be somewhere in the top 55 range, which I think they have one of those with Orlando. So basically, this team gets rid of Vonley, opens up a roster spot, sends $1.5 million in cash to the Spurs, and they have to get something back in the deal, and that's why this is a 50... Um, this is a uh, top 55 protected pick, but there really isn't anything that the Celtics were getting in return. They were basically just saying, hey, we want to get an open roster spot because when it comes down to it, they have a few trade exceptions. They also have a potential to bring in a buyout candidate. Obviously, if a bigger deal comes down and there's a three for one trade and two guys have to get waived or one guy has to get waived, you know, there's the potential for them to bring in, um, you know, uh, bring in uh, a guy who was just released. Uh, and as I said before, they do have trade exceptions, which could also be beneficial. And so I think this is a good move for the Celtics because it gives them some flexibility to move uh, Noah Vonley and to get something back in return. And I think, you know, this is the potential for a trade uh, that could have uh, benefits to the Celtics, um, even if they're small, um, you know. And uh, there was a quote that I saw from um, Brad Stevens. He was talking about something. Uh, when I was coaching, I always told the guys, let the game tell you what to do um, when he talks about potential trades will let the game tell us what to do over the next couple months. Like any other thing, I've got to be able to take a step back. I've got to be able to sift through what's a blip and what's real. Um, we want to win, no question about it. Uh, we have a really good team. Hopefully we are playing great over the next couple of months, but we will evaluate that and make the decisions that right or wrong will give us the best chance at winning. 
Um, so, yeah, this, uh, as I said, taking on a player um, with, uh, you know, using the TPE, uh, which helps. Um, and this is, I'm reading MassLive.com put out an article about um, this whole situation. But, you know, at the deadline last year, around the deadline last year, we got Derek White. Um, I think, uh, you know, there's the potential for a trade that could end up coming from Boston. And I really wouldn't be surprised if they bring someone in using one of those trade exceptions and just do that in hopes that maybe uh, it'll work out. So, um, you know, this is a small move, but it's a move that Brad Stevens felt like he should make. And I think there's nothing really wrong with that at all. And it's uh, not too bad. So uh, I'm a fan. Uh, next is something that doesn't really affect the Celtics too much, but... Dallas Mavericks have uh, decided to cut ways with um, Kemba Walker. So Kemba has an interesting path since leaving Boston. Boston to Oklahoma City via the Al Horford trade, released and signed with his hometown New York Knicks, was traded from New York to Detroit in the offseason, and then was, um, I think he was released from Detroit and then signed with the Mavericks. But with other players on their team, he is basically unused uh, goods, and there's no point in keeping him around for them. So he got released. Now, one of the things that I will say, in my own opinion, and this is just me, is that there are going to probably be a lot of Celtics fans who heard this and probably thought to themselves, oh, let's bring him back. We could use him. But I got two things to say. First and foremost, that doesn't really make any sense with our team because we have enough guards to to talk um, about. Peyton Pritchard and Smart and Derek White and Brogdon, we really don't have at all any reason to bring him into the fold. Like, there's no reason for him to come to Boston. And I don't want to see him in Boston because, let's be honest, we're a much better team without him. We brought in Al Horford for a reason, and it's just one of those things where I just, I don't really see any reason to come back to this team. And I don't think the fit is great with the guys we have. So I really just don't see anything. And I don't really think there is anything to come of it. But um, when he got released, it seemed like it was one of those things where potentially other people out there could want him to come back and I just don't think it really makes sense for our team and so unfortunately uh it doesn't really work and we just opened up a roster spot for someone who maybe fits better we could use another big we could use a wing you know Sadiq Bey would be a great wing if the price is right you know I think there's other wings out there that could fit and bigs and it just seems like Kemba is just an unnecessary um unnecessary at all uh, we don't need it and also um it's uh, He hasn't really played great over the last uh, two years, so not a, a good player to bring in. Um, and, you know, obviously there are connections with this organization, but just not going to happen. Um, so I'll pass. 